turn to Matthew chapter five, uh, and I kind of want to introduce just what we're talking about this semester, uh, and really again answer the question: What is RUF? Um, Matthew, as you guys are all turning there, is one of the four Gospels. Uh, these are books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus's life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, and at the end of chapter four, Jesus has really just started his ministry. Uh, he's been tempted in the wilderness. He's been introduced by John the Baptist. He's called a couple disciples. Uh, and then Matthew tells us in chapter four, verse 23, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So all of these crowds start to follow Jesus and they follow him to this region where Jesus goes up on a mountain and all the crowds follow him and gather around. Uh, and for Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, Jesus gives this sermon. Uh, it's re commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is standing on a mountain when he gives the sermon, hence the title. Uh, and it's his introduction to what it means to follow him. Remember, this is right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Uh, and for him, it's kind of your following Jesus 101 class, right? This is your introduction to what it means to follow Jesus. And our passage tonight, <clears throat> the Beatitudes, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, is the introduction to that sermon. So this is Jesus's introduction to the introduction of what it means to follow him. Now, this is where following him starts. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me pray for us, and we'll talk about what that means. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it reveals to us about who you are, about who we are, and what you've done to bring us to yourself. We pray that as we look at this sermon from Jesus uh, tonight and this semester, uh, that you would help us to hear him, uh, help us to hear what he has to say to us, help us to see him clearly, uh, and to fall more and more in love with him, uh, and to trust him. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I wish that we had time to go through every single one of these different phrases, these different blesseds, um, and tease out some implication and kind of get inside of Jesus's reasoning. Um, but Zoom is the worst, right? We don't learn over Zoom. Uh, I want you guys to talk about these things in community and community groups. So we're just going to focus on the first one tonight. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Um, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it's not economic, right? Jesus explicitly says poor in spirit, not poor in bank account. Uh, he's not talking about money, uh, and he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, right? As in, um, blessed are the people who don't believe and therefore don't have the Holy Spirit living in them. Now, he's talking about your spirit, right? The spiritual part of us, our, our soul, our hearts, our emotions, kind of that non-physical part of our being. Uh, and, and basically, what poor in spirit means is that you've come to the end of your rope. Uh, I think you could ac- accurately paraphrase it, uh, blessed are, are the weary in soul. To be poor in spirit means that you recognize your own failures and shortcomings and sin. Uh, it means that you see how ineffective you are at actually changing yourself. Uh, some some things that poor in spirit might mean. Um, poor in spirit uh, means that at times you feel guilty over things that you've done. You recognize that, like, maybe I haven't been perfect in all of my dealings with everybody at all times. Um, being poor at spirit means uh, recognizing that sometimes when you disagree with other people, you don't do it graciously, right? You're you're harsh with them. You're dismissive of them. Being poor at spirit uh, might mean that you make excuses for the reasons that you don't perfectly follow the catamounts care guidelines, uh, even when you shake your head and scoff at other people that don't follow those guidelines. Um, being poor in spirit means that you like are kind of honest about the fact that um, you're really anxious about the fact that campus might close. Um, and you might have to get sent home, right? And maybe anxious to the point of like it impacting your sleep and your appetite. Um, being poor in spirit means that you recognize and admit that a lot of times you know what you should do and you deliberately choose not to. Uh, in short, being poor in spirit means being able to admit that I'm not okay. Either in the choices that I make and the sins that I've committed, the mistakes that I've made, um, the things that I love that I shouldn't, the things that I don't love that I should, like there's something about me that's not okay. P- people who can say I am poor in spirit are, are able to articulate that. Um, but that's really hard to say, right? I mean, we're certainly not going to say that on, on social media. Those posts never get received well. Uh, and, and if you bring that up with people that you kind of know, but don't know really well, like they're likely to change the subject. And, and, and if ever somebody you do know well says to you like, Hey, like I'm not okay here. I'm struggling with anxiety or I'm really frustrated about this or like, I just can't seem to stop doing this thing that I know I shouldn't. We kind of don't really know how to respond. We're, we're not really equipped well to deal with people admitting that they're not okay. But more than that, why would Jesus say that a condition like that, right? That, that being at the end of your rope, that not being okay, being frustrated about your sins and struggles, being uh, frustrated about your pride and the fact that you just can't help yourself from inserting yourself into conversation. Why would he say that that's a good thing? Why would he say that being poor in spirit means that you're blessed? Uh, I hope you noticed uh, as I read um, chapter five, verses one through 12, he gives, Jesus gives these nine sayings of, of what it means to be blessed or, or happy or lucky or favored. Um, they're really counterintuitive. They really don't come naturally to us. 
you know, if we were to come up with an updated version of this, if we polled people on campus and observed how they behaved and asked who they followed on social media and, and all of these things, um, <clears throat> what kind of beatitudes would we come up with? What list would we come up with for today? Uh, I brainstormed this a little bit. Here's some stuff I came up with. Uh, blessed are the rich, for they can get whatever they want. Blessed are the self-assured, for they never struggle with doubt. Blessed are the self-righteous, for they never struggle with guilt. Blessed are the busy, for they must be important. Blessed are the woke, for they really get it. Blessed are the loud and proud, for everybody has to listen to them, whether they want to or not. And really, it seems like one of the values of the day is, blessed are the bullies, for they always get their way. Right? That it seems like we operate under this assumption that power, that wealth, that the ability to influence others is what makes us blessed, but not poor in spirit, right? Not the meek, not mourners, not peacemakers. Like they don't make the cut. We like people who are confident, who are unapologetic, who are sure of themselves, who seem to be in control. And like, those are the people that we kind of want to be like. But here Jesus has the audacity to say, no, it's better for you to be at the end of your rope. It's better for you to be poor in spirit. Why? Why on earth would Jesus say something like that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what does that mean? Uh, In the Bible, especially in the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven is a short way to say the place where Jesus's perfect, loving, gracious rule over our lives is enjoyed in relationship with him. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, is where the world operates as it was designed to. The kingdom of heaven is where we operate as we were designed to. Not because like we've solved all the world's problems, not because We've gone to all the counseling and we've done all the self-work, but because Jesus is king, because he he rules and we're connected to him. Jesus says that that, that that kingdom of heaven, that, that functioning the way that we're supposed to function in a world that's working the way that it's supposed to work, that kingdom of heaven only belongs to us and we to it when we come to the end of our rope. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it's only when we come to the end of our rope, only when we recognize that we're weary in our soul, poor in spirit, that we will look outside of ourselves for help. Because we believe that the Bible teaches that you are already at the end of your rope, right? In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul says, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us are already at the end of our rope. All of us are already poor in spirit and, and have nothing to offer, whether we choose to see it or not, with one exception, right? There's one person in all of human history who was not weary in his soul because of his sins, because of his failings, because of his pride or anxieties. Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, had no reason to be poor in spirit, but he became poor in spirit. He became weary in his soul for us, for me, and for you. And and all the consequences of our sin, all the guilt that we incur, all the wounds that we've inflicted on other people and that other people have inflicted on us, Jesus takes onto himself. And that brokenness of the world, 
right, including the brokenness that you and I have contributed, come crashing down on Jesus Christ so much so that on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you given me up? That's the cry of someone who is poor in spirit. But because Jesus had no guilt, no sin, no no pride in himself, that brokenness of the world didn't break him. Instead, it starts to work backwards, right? Jesus takes all of the sin and brokenness of the world onto himself and pays the penalty for, for it. And through him, he like turns it into life. He takes this death and this brokenness and, and somehow produces life and healing and resurrection, right? Jesus comes out of the ground and he offers forgiveness and peace and rest and admission into the kingdom of heaven. And where he is, because he's king, the brokenness of the world starts to unravel. And all that we're asked to do, all that's required of us, is to confess what's already true, that we're at the end of our rope and we need a savior like that, and to believe that he is that savior. And just like that, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the place where where the world starts to work the way it's supposed to, where you start to work the way you're supposed to, where your relationships start to work the way they're supposed to. Not because you figured it out, but because God is king and Christ is working in your heart and in your life. So back to the original question, which maybe you've all forgotten by now. What is RUF, right? Or maybe better to ask, who is RUF for? RUF is for the poor in spirit, those who have come to the end of their rope, those who aren't okay. In other words, RUF is for everybody, right? Because everybody's at the end of their rope. Everybody's not okay. You're not the only one in that boat. And to answer the question, what is RUF? RUF is a place where you will be pointed over and over to a gracious savior and king who welcomes broken people and who's in the business of making them whole and bringing them into his kingdom. RUF is a place where you will be invited over and over to rest in what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ. RUF is a place where you will not be turned away because of your sins, your failures, your brokenness, your wounds, your end of your ropeness. Because in RUF, we believe that like, I'm at the end of my rope, Kate's at the end of her rope, Cody's at the end of his rope. Like that's like the baseline for the human race. And if we're all there and we're all receiving the grace of God, in spite of being at the end of our rope, that, that should make us quick to offer that grace to one another. So again, back to the very beginning of what I said tonight, we want RUF to be a welcoming community on our campus where students continually experience the love of Christ and extend God's grace to others. We want it to be a community like that because we want it to be a community of people that have experienced grace and as a result are really quick to offer that same grace to other people. If that sounds like a community you'd like to be a part of, uh, we would love to welcome you in and get you connected. That sounds too good to be true. Uh, We invite you to test it out, right? Test the waters, see if like maybe it is possible. Uh, If you have questions, doubts, hesitations, anything at all like that, uh, we hope that you will bring them and voice them uh, and interact uh, with us in community. Uh, Bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your struggles. Um, We're not afraid of them here. We want to engage you with them. If you're new here, Christian, curious, skeptical, whatever, um, Cody, Kate, and I would love to meet with you, tell you more about this Jesus who heals the broken. 
Uh, if you've been coming around for a while and something clicked for you tonight, we'd love to help you process that. Uh, but this is who we are, broken people, poor in spirit, who are ridiculously and relentlessly loved by a Savior who heals the broken and gives rest to the weary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that even though we do everything in our power to try not to admit that we're not okay, um, you know the truth about us and you love us anyway. Um, you know that we're stubborn in admitting that. And when we admit that, we're not surprising you. Um, you know us, and yet somehow you love us anyway, so much so that you sent Christ, um, the only one who, who wasn't poor in spirit, to become poor in spirit, that in him we might inherit the kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray that this semester, as we look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we would continually be reminded of this theme, uh, that what, what matters uh, is what you think of us and what you have done for us, not our efforts, not our activity, um, not our, our goodness, but his given to us. We pray that you would, um, you would work that message deep into our hearts, deep into our lives, and then it would over, overflow to other people uh, in grace and love. Do this, we pray. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.